You're called to a hillside trail for a 23-year-old man that felt like he was going to pass out while out for an afternoon hike with some friends. He tells you he didn't actually pass out, but he felt like his vision was fading and he got really lightheaded. It's a warm day, and he tells you he didn't eat much earlier and probably hasn't had enough water. He feels better now and doesn't want to go to the hospital. He remains with his friends and you go back in service. You're listening to 911Cast, the no-nonsense EMS podcast. This episode is brought to you by Madison Programs, a Brooklyn-based medical training and consulting company with over 20 years of experience specializing in emergency medical continuing education and AHA certification classes like CPR and first aid for community members and professionals. For more information, email madisonprograms at aol.com. I'm Scott Topiel, and this week, it's all about syncope. Syncope is a common problem, so common that it's estimated that 20% of the population will experience a syncopal episode at some point during their life, so common that it's responsible for about 1 million emergency department visits each year. Syncope occurs when a person experiences a brief loss of consciousness as a result of an interrupted flow of nutrients to the brain. It doesn't take much of an interruption either. As little as 8 seconds of decreased blood flow is enough to make someone pass out. In cases of true syncope, this loss of consciousness is very brief and usually resolves completely in less than 1-2 to two minutes. An episode that lasts longer than that is probably not just syncope. Sometimes a person feels like they're about to pass out, but doesn't. We call that pre-syncope or near-syncope. Now, I remember years ago in school being told that differentiating syncope from near syncope was important because, like in many aspects of life, almost didn't count. Many EMS providers have been taught this same logic, that a person that doesn't completely pass out is somehow less of a concern than someone who actually did. As it turns out, that isn't true at all. Syncope and near syncope are pretty much the same thing. Both are caused by an interruption of perfusion to the brain. Research shows that the odds of something bad happening to someone after experiencing a near syncope is virtually the same as someone that loses consciousness completely. This is because they're both caused by the same mechanism and therefore share the same risks. What makes syncope so challenging is that there are many different things that can cause it. Some causes are relatively benign, like passing out when having blood drawn, but others can be extremely dangerous. The most common type of syncope is reflex syncope. You've probably heard of vasovagal syncope before. That's a type of reflex syncope. Nerve reflexes cause a person's heart rate to decrease or their blood vessels to dilate. This in turn causes a rapid drop in blood pressure that momentarily interrupts flow to the brain, resulting in syncope or near syncope. Things like having a bowel movement, swallowing, coughing, emptying one's bladder, carotid sinus stimulation, such as from a necktie or collar that's too tight, can all cause reflex syncope. Orthostatic hypotension is another common cause of syncope. In most cases, this happens when a person changes positions quickly, like from lying to sitting or from sitting to standing, which causes their blood pressure to drop. Normally, the body compensates for these positional changes by vasoconstriction, but if a person is dehydrated, this mechanism isn't enough to keep them from passing out. 
Other things that can cause orthostatic hypotension include alcohol, tricyclic antidepressants, and antihypertensive medications. A more concerning cause of syncope is cardiac dysrhythmia. An abnormal heart rhythm can prevent the heart from filling or pumping properly, resulting in decreased cardiac output. When cardiac output gets too low, the brain doesn't get enough blood, and the patient loses consciousness. If the dysrhythmia resolves on its own, then the patient wakes up. If it doesn't, they'll go into cardiac arrest. The challenge is that cardiac dysrhythmias often stop on their own before EMS arrives. That means you likely won't be able to see the abnormal rhythm on a 12-lead EKG. That's why I can't stress enough that a normal-looking 12-lead doesn't mean very much, since it's just a snapshot in time and can't tell you what happened in the past, nor is it very good at predicting the future. A notorious cause of syncope and death in young, healthy athletes is a condition known as hypertrophic cardiomyopathy. In this condition, the muscular wall of the left ventricle is thicker than it should be. While bigger skeletal muscles are helpful when playing sports, thicker heart muscle isn't a good thing. The thicker heart wall can't stretch as much as normal heart tissue, and a heart that can't stretch is a heart that can't pump enough blood. Worse, this condition often triggers ventricular dysrhythmias like VTAC or VFib, leading to sudden cardiac arrest. Sometimes things look like syncope, but they aren't. Seizures are one of the most common syncope mimics. Not every seizure involves obvious tonic-clonic movement, so an atypical seizure with more subtle presentation can easily be mistaken for syncope. In most cases, though, seizures can be distinguished by how quickly the person recovers. Seizures are usually followed by a postictal period where the victim slowly returns to their baseline mental status over a period of several minutes. Syncope, on the other hand, resolves quickly. Another common misconception is that hypoglycemia causes syncope. In truth, this is extremely rare, and, in the vast majority of cases, the altered level of consciousness triggered by low blood sugar is misidentified as syncope. Nevertheless, it's still a good idea to obtain a finger stick blood glucose, especially if the person's suspected of having diabetes, and treat according to your local protocols. Now that we have a solid background understanding of syncope, let's talk practically about how you might approach this type of patient in the field. You first want to figure out if the patient has suffered any trauma as a result of their syncopal episode. Did they fall when they lost consciousness? Did they crash their car? If there's any chance that they may have suffered a cervical spine injury, be sure to place them in a C-collar and provide any related trauma care. Every patient that experiences syncope, regardless of age, should get a 12-lead EKG. Although uncommon, you might capture the offending cardiac rhythm. In practice, the 12-lead will probably be inconclusive. Now is also a good time for you to brush up on how to identify things like Brugada sign on an EKG. Look for coved ST segment elevations in leads V1 through V3, followed by a negative T wave. When associated with syncope, the presence of Brugada sign means that your patient is at high risk for sudden cardiac death. Also, while you're at it, take a look at the corrected QT interval, or QTC. A long QTC of, say, over 500 milliseconds can increase the risk of a ventricular dysrhythmia, such as torsades. Certain history findings can help you better gauge the risk level associated with syncope. It's really important to find out the timing of the episode and what the patient was doing when it occurred. For example, did syncope or near syncope happen during 
or immediately after exercise. This is critically important because symptoms that occur during active exercise can indicate a very serious cardiac cause and is associated with a significantly increased risk of death. On the other hand, symptoms that occur after exercise or during the cool-down period are usually reflex in nature and tend to be considered lower risk. Also, don't forget to find out what position the patient was in at the time of the episode. This is a much more important question than you might think. Syncope that occurs while the patient is lying supine is strongly associated with cardiac causes. There are a few other symptoms that, when coupled with syncope, should get your attention. For instance, the presence of chest pain or discomfort might mean a cardiac problem. A report of a severe headache can be a sign of a subarachnoid hemorrhage, and shortness of breath might indicate a pulmonary embolism. You've just finished dinner when you're dispatched to a nearby gym for a man down. An employee directs you to a small crowd where you see two people performing CPR on a man in his early 20s. As you take over, you recognize the victim as the hiker that experienced a near syncope a few weeks earlier. He's in V-fib, and after several unsuccessful attempts to defibrillate, you transport him to a nearby facility where he's placed on ECMO. A few weeks later, he walks into your station to thank you for saving his life. He tells you that his sudden cardiac arrest was caused by a previously undiagnosed case of hypertrophic cardiomyopathy. His doctors suspect that the near-syncopal episode he experienced while hiking was caused by an exercise-induced cardiac dysrhythmia. To prevent this from happening again, his cardiologist implanted an internal defibrillator. Syncope is a common complaint encountered by EMS providers. Although some causes are harmless, many are potentially life-threatening. Remember that losing consciousness and almost losing consciousness are equally as dangerous and should be treated with the same approach. Monitor these patients closely and be prepared to intervene should sudden cardiac arrest occur. That's it for this episode of 911Cast. We'd like to thank our founding sponsor, OneKit, makers of high-quality first aid kits. Check out their products at buyonekit.com. That's B-U-Y-O-N-E, kit.com. If you like this podcast, please subscribe and review us on iTunes. Until next time, thanks for listening.